Welcome back to another session of our AP World History Podcast. Uh, this week we'll be diving into Chapter 14 of the Strayer book, looking at the economic transformations happening across the world, and uh, with a kind of a special focus on commerce and with the global trade that gets set up with uh, the old world discovering the new world. We're being finally fully connected with the new world and uh, also looking at the labor systems that come about in uh, this time frame. So uh, we're going to break this into three parts. Uh, the first part is going to be looking at the European and Asian commerces. Then the second part, we're going to look at the silver trade and uh, the hunt for furs. And then we're going to look at the transatlantic slave trade some. So uh, that's mainly what we're going to be focusing on here today. Um or in these sessions, I should say, and we're going to break it into three sessions. So this first one uh, will be the Europeans and the Asian commerce there. So um, starting off with things here, uh, remember the Europeans kind of set this whole global connection of, of trade off um, when they start exploring westward. Uh, just like we saw with uh, the discoveries of uh, Columbus and all that stuff, this is all part of it, or this is all what leads to it. Um, Columbus brings the New World into it, uh, but the Europeans that actually bring the Indian Ocean trade into the European trade, where they start, the Europeans actually start going and interacting with that Indian Ocean trade, uh, are actually the Portuguese, uh, led by Vasco da Gama, uh, when he finally reaches... Um, I shouldn't say led by him, led by probably Prince Henry the Navigator, who sets up the, the system in Portugal. But Vasco da Gama eventually becomes the Portuguese sailor in 1497, uh, between 1497 and 99, to actually make it to the Indian Ocean. Where then he goes and um, buys silk, or really kind of steals silk, silk and other products that he wanted. Uh, they kind of act like pirates. Um and this is all possible because of, again, all the technologies that Europe had adopted from the other regions. Uh, they didn't want to go and trade through the uh, Ottoman Empire. Uh, they had finally recovered from the Black Death um, towards the, the end of the uh, 1400s, going into the 1500s. And uh, so this all made it ripe. And so we're going to look primarily here at the Portuguese with what they do and then Spain with what they do. And then we're going to look at a couple of companies with the East India companies being the British and the Dutch India companies here. And then we'll look at the other regions of the world and what they do. So Portuguese, they're, they're the ones that really uh, will focus on creating a trading empire based around small uh, ports or small hubs. Uh, they never go and really conquer huge swaths of land. Uh, if you think about Portugal, it's a very small kingdom. So they don't really have the manpower to do that anyways. And even with their small empire that they're going to put together land-wise, it's going to take up a huge, um, uh, huge distance. Um, that's going to be very difficult for them to control, and it will lead to its uh, own collapse there eventually. But um, they set up uh, trading centers along the coast of Africa uh, on the west side and the central side, and then around uh, to the east side. And uh, they will also set up um, colonies within um, India and in, in, uh, on the coast of India, as well as in islands in Southeast Asia. So they spread throughout the whole Indian Ocean trade, and they try to claim it all and regulate it all, um, but they don't really do that. Uh, they don't have, again, the manpower to kind of pull that kind of thing off. But 
uh, if you're wondering about some of the specific areas that they controlled, uh, we're talking about Mombasa, so that's uh, East Africa in what is today um, in the Kenya, Tanzania region there. Uh, you got Goa, uh, which is in India. You got Malacca and Macau, and those are going to be in Southeast Asia there. So um, that's what they're looking to do. And the way we see them try to control this trade uh, is through a passport system, just like we saw with the Mongols. So this is kind of a continuation of that idea. But uh, in this system, you had to have a, a Portuguese Cortaz, is what they were called. And you had to have that if you were shipping goods. Um, majority of ships didn't use that or ignored it and paid a fine or whatever the Portuguese put on them. Um, just because they, they couldn't regulate it. Uh, and mainly, this Cortaz wasn't used or wasn't tried to be attempted across the whole Indian Ocean, but it worked more with uh, the Portuguese control of the Red Sea. And so they tried to block and, and control that more. But again, they, they never really fully control it because, again, they don't have the numbers to do that. And by about 1600, they were fully overextended. So after about 100 years of trying to dominate things, they lose their... Uh, they're stronger, they're, they're heavy-handed control, and so they just kind of meld in and become a part of the trade. Their Iberian cousins, the Spaniards, uh, will set up their empires, and as we already saw last week, uh, they set up their empires in the Americas and actually set up huge land empires. And uh, Portugal also does that with Brazil, kind of, and they do take some islands over in the Caribbean, but we see this a lot more with Spain uh, creating land empires, and um, Spain wasn't supposed to get involved in the Indian Ocean trade. Uh, there was the Treaty of Tordesillas, which divided the world between Spain and and Portugal. Um, I can't remember what longitude it is, but there's a longitude that left a little bit of Brazil to Portugal, and then the rest of everything west was Spain's, and everything east was Portugal's to claim. The only problem with that is if you keep going west or you keep going east, you eventually cover everything. So they then made a second line. Unfortunately, I can't remember what that uh, treaty was off the top of my head, but that was supposed to keep Spain from going into Southeast Asia and the Indian Ocean trade. And Spain ignored that, just as the Portuguese ignored the line that they were supposed to stay in in uh, Portugal. And so the Spanish conquer uh, the island chain known as the Philippines, or today known as the Philippines, named after King Philip. And... Um, they conquer that uh, because they claim it with uh, Magellan's voyage, Magellan being the famous explorer who uh, circumnavigated the world, although he didn't survive the circumnavigation, his crew did, um, but he didn't survive it, unfortunately, because he died in the Philippines. Um, I believe in the Philippines, but uh, in the island chain, at least there uh, in Southeast Asia. And so from this, they claim it, they set up their colony there, and this becomes their major uh, trading center uh, for the silver trade, which we'll see here in a little bit. Uh, but uh, this is a lot different than what the Portuguese do because uh, the Portuguese just set up those small uh, little trading post empires. And they don't really try to convert people. They actually kind of meld into the society there. Whereas here, the Spanish actually do a missionary effort. They try to convert everyone. They um, try to make everyone be... Uh, as Spanish as possible and become part of the empire. So um, they they really want to try to control it and, and dictate what people can and can't do. And uh, this is also where the Philippines will get their capital uh, that is there today, uh, known as Manila. And um, 
again, the major focus for the Spanish year was was not necessarily the, the, the conversion of the people and stuff came second, just as we kind of saw with the Americas. Uh, but uh, its main focus was to focus on the silver trade and, and trading in the in Southeast Asia and East Asia to get products and then bring them back to uh, Europe so they could profit off those products and use that silver to gain um, more money with and uh, achieve their goals in mercantilism. Then, uh, from those two empires, uh, we have a different system that comes about. So both these empires looked at conquering land and claiming it and saying it's theirs, uh, and they were both done through the king. So the Portuguese king kind of controlled that territory, and the Spanish king controlled that territory. Um, the Dutch and the English are much smaller, and uh, the, well, the Dutch don't have a monarchy, and the English don't have a monarchy with a lot of money. So they both set up what is known as uh, trading companies. And uh, you can think of these like, uh, well, really, they're joint stock companies. And what that means is people buy a stock uh, or a part ownership in the company and then get part of the rewards at the end of that um, mission that they went on. And so uh, it's just like today why we have stocks in the stock market. Uh, that's where these, these ideas came from. And so the English and Dutch set up these companies to go and do it, and they'd have monopolies on the trade. And they uh, will go up and set up their own uh, trading empires, similar to the Portuguese with these trading posts uh, for the most part. Uh, but it's all run by private companies that then have the um, blessing of, of the monarch. So for the Dutch, we see them go to Indonesia and uh, they take over the islands there in Indonesia and uh, really try to kick the natives off that so they can grow their spices and they get... Uh, monopolies on uh, nutmeg especially, but also they they have mace, uh, cloves, and cinnamon, and they dominate that trade with that, and, and that makes the Dutch very, very wealthy. Um, they, they will also um, be the only ones that when Japan closes their borders, they will be able to trade with Japan. Uh, they can only do it in certain ports and stuff like that, but they don't try to convert the Japanese to Christianity, which the Japanese heavily resisted. And so they're focused in Indonesia. That's where they get a lot of their money. Uh, we also see them, though, set up... Um, uh, th that was known as the Dutch East India Company. There's also a Dutch West India Company that then goes to the Americas, sets up colonies in uh, New York, or what is today New York, uh, and that was known as New Amsterdam uh, there. And... Um, so they, they follow this model, and it's all about profit, and it brings them a lot of money, and they quickly become a power. Uh, but they will be rivaled by the English who follow a similar system. Uh, the, English, um, uh, the, the English West India, or is it just the East India Company? Um, whatever, the, the British or the, Indi the English India Companies, um, you will have, uh, really it's the East India Company, sorry, but the, the East India Company will, will be partially there to set up some of the colonies. They, they play a role in that. And actually, the colonies are a major area for them to sell their products. Um, when we get to the American Revolution, uh, we'll be talking about the East India trying to sell their tea to the Americans. And the Americans go and dump it in the harbors because they don't want to pay for that tea. And um, they don't like the policies that the British are trying to do to sell the extra tea the East India Company has. So... Um, we see that there, but really their focus is on trying to set up uh, colonies in uh, or trading posts in the Indian Ocean. 
And they really focus on India, which will then set up the British or what will eventually become the British uh, to uh, take over India. And so we'll have uh, British India after, though, the Mughals um, disappear. So once the Mughal Empire falls, um, which will be in the late 1700s, I should look up that one real quick. But um, but once they fall, the the British East India Company is going to step in. Um, to, to take over so uh, let's see if I can find dates for the Mughal Empire here real quick though uh, it goes until about 1857 as part of the argument here on one of the dates so um, it'll be until the 1800s and then in the 1800s the British will slowly take it over as the Mughal Empire is 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 falling apart uh, as well as they'll work with uh, other principalities or princes there um, so some of their famous places that they focus on uh, was Bombay, which is now known as Mumbai, and you got Calcutta and Madras, and um, they really focus on uh, teas and spices and cotton uh, with that. And um, again, uh, they their focus is all on making a profit there, and the people that have invested in it get part of that profit. And as long as things go well, uh, the king's fine or the queen's fine signing off on it. Now, outside of Europe, um, we do see trade happening. Uh, of the majority of the trade actually is not European. It's the rest of the world. Uh, there aren't that many European ships in the Indian Ocean. They're not dominating it. It is mostly Asian uh, traders, just like it's been throughout the history of the Indian Ocean trade. So... That's a major continuity going on. And um, so when we talk about the, the Portuguese, the English, the Dutch, in, in some specific areas, they really control things and take over parts. But for the most part, they're a small group, a small minority in the larger trade of going of what's going on. Um, so you have the Indians doing their trade. You have the Chinese leading their trade. Um the the famous ones uh or one of the famous ones is japan and that they were involved with this uh trade but uh during the tokugawa era they decided to um start to shut down their borders later on and they they kind of back out of the trade and only really trade directly with china because they want china's goods and they have silver and china wants the silver and so they exchange silver for chinese goods and they allow the Dutch in to help facilitate that process. But um, for the most part, they, they are isolated. They don't really participate in it like the rest of um, Eurasia does or Asia does. Um, what else do we want to say? Uh, with Southeast Asia, I mean, they're still involved with it, even though uh, the Indonesian or the some areas like Indonesia are taken over or small areas in Malacca are taken over by the... Um, by the Dutch or the Portuguese, um, they uh, are still dominated by women. The traders are still women. That's one of the unique things that continues throughout this time. Um, and um, what else? The the Arab or the the overland trades that we saw with the Silk Road, we see slowly starting to decline. Uh, but that's still going to be dominated by uh, the Arabs. Um, um, or the Asians, I should say. And then when, when they get to the Middle East and stuff, it's dominated by the Arabs. And a lot of that trade goes to the Middle East to then be shipped by land to the Mediterranean. But we do see a shift with the Europeans shipping it themselves 
trying to circumvent that. And so that's that's kind of the um, that's that's kind of a it in a nutshell here. So you have the Europeans starting to break into the Indian Ocean trade. Again, they're not going to be dominating. It's going to be dominated by the uh, the Asian traders, whether they're from India, from Southeast Asia, from China. They dominate because there's a lot more of them in it. But we see the Europeans starting to get a foothold with either using uh, trading companies like in Britain and in uh, the Netherlands with the, those two East India companies and other um, other European companies or countries or kingdoms will then copy that. Or you've got more directly controlled empires by kings or, or regions by kings like we see with Portugal's their trading post empire uh, where they try to dominate the Indian Ocean and can't. Or the Spanish, um, the Spanish conquering of the Philippines and other uh, other islands like what they did in the Americas and fully converting them and putting them under the crown's control. So that's that's kind of the trade routes or the the general trade and what we see going on with commerce in a nutshell. Next up, we'll take a look at what what were the main resources that are being traded. What are people focusing on?